All right, Jay. So for me, it's just past noontime on Wednesday. It's morning your time. And why did I think that you were going to be golfing right now instead of doing a podcast? What was well, that yeah, well, I've, I've got that Monday coming up. I'm, I'm trying to qualify for the U.S. Amateur on Monday. So it's, yeah, that's where I'm headed. So you just got your days mixed up. It's going to be about as hot out at Bakersfield as it was up at the Ridge this weekend. Oof. So, yeah, it was nice to fly back down to Southern California Monday night and got off the plane at like 11. Almost needed a little sweatshirt or something because it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, just, it, but it feels now... Like it was what we were there for four days of heat, maybe three, four days of heat, or you were there. Well, actually, you were there probably I was there five for days. longer. Yeah. yeah, because I, I was I mean, up there. I, I was up there for like nine days because we did two days with Moto Vixens. Then uh, I hung out a bit Wednesday and Thursday up there, and was there for the test on Thursday, and it was hot during the test, if you remember. And then, and then the weekend was a scorcher. And then on Monday, I was there with Aprilia, doing some stuff with them, uh, some private coaching stuff there, and. It was in my van. It was reading 112. Oh, dude. Yeah, it was like 110. And the funny part was, is there was no breeze on Monday at all. Most people, I saw people loading up at like 130 and two, like people were just tapped out. They, could, they couldn't do it anymore. Couldn't yeah, I mean, it. I don't blame them. And But it, even being in the heat for those amount of days, and of course, dude, Sunday night, you know, we, we got done racing at what, like four o'clock or something. And I was like, okay, we were commentating. I mean, it wasn't as brutal as outside, but we we're in that building and it was like 87, 88 degrees. So I was already kind of tired and I was like, all right, I'm just going to go back to the hotel. So I get on the motorcycle Ugh. with all the gear on. And right before I left, I had a conversation with Gagne and yeah. I was like, so how was the heat? And he's like, man, because at that time it's 109 degrees, right? And Jake was like, look, it's so hot. I had to close all the vents in my helmet because... Yeah it would not only dry you out, it felt like there was a, a furnace blow dryer in your face. Something on yeah, yeah, blow dryer in your face, right? So I was like, oh, that that's... And I, you know, I was staying at the casino, so I was only maybe, what, 15, 20 minutes away? It wasn't really that long of a ride. But I ended up zipping up all the vents that yeah. I could and closing all the vents on my helmet because it was so uncomfortable just riding. Yeah, it would, there wasn't enough... There wasn't enough speed... As we know, Correct. being in Shelton, as the police came out and you know decided that they were going to revenue grab at the at the uh, at the races, yeah, it was a little bit something. But yeah, anyway, so bad. yeah, so it was it was very interesting. But um, I mean, I didn't hear anything about anybody getting sick or passing out. Did you? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. So what I heard was, <laughs> did you know this weekend we didn't have one rider transport, which was great, um, but there was like. I think there was two transports for heat exhaustion and from riders or from fans I, fans. And I think yeah, one of them that's was, horrible. I, yeah. I think one of them was actually Tracy who runs the, who runs the Ridge. I know her. Um, so hopefully she's doing okay. But, um, but I heard there was like 24 people treated for heat exhaustion. You know, what's funny is, is those were record heats up there. Like from what everybody was telling me, like hottest in history that it's ever been. And up there, you're just not used to that there. I mean, people up there just are not used to that heat. I, I still find it ironically funny that Pacific Northwest will probably be our hottest race of the, of the year. Let's nobody hope so. Would, nobody would have guessed that. And I think, you know, when I looked at Laguna coming up here in a week and a half or so, it's like, it's typical Monterey. It's high sixties, low seventies, be in the fifties at night, you know, in the middle of summer. So it's like, it's, it, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really nice there. Fog layers, I'm sure will blow in and out, but yeah, it's going to be completely different. 
Well, that's good news because, as you know, the hotels are like sold out in Monterey. Some of that's going to be Moto America. Some of it's going to be people on vacation. But when I looked at it, hotel prices were so expensive. I get an Airbnb like two miles from the track, and it's like its own little place. And it's awesome. It even has a washer and dryer, which I need so badly because I've been on this motorcycle ride. And but no air conditioning. And I was like, you're dead. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. But even when it, but you like air conditioning, even when you, even when it's cold out. Yeah. Yeah. All winter long in North Carolina, I have the AC running. It's rare that I ever put the heat on. Um, So, yeah. And, you know, I'm just like, it's weird. I've cooled down, you know, at times on this trip, I was gone for 21 days straight. And when I stayed at Road America, I stayed at this awesome place. Friend of mine put me up, but no air conditioning. So it was like 80 degrees in the room. And it's just like, I go and I can cool down a little bit, but the heat just seems to be following me, man. But anyway, hopefully it'll be a nice ride down. More than more than likely, when I go back on the 4th of July to go pick up the motorcycle, I'm going to go to Portland, then I'm going to go to Bend, which is inland. See a friend over in Bend. Beautiful there. Yeah. And um, from there, I think I'm going to go straight west to Eugene and just hit the one because yep. the temperatures inland in California are expected to be that really same hot. 105, oh, yeah. 103 degrees kind of yeah. a thing. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? But it's either that, Jay. This is the weird thing. It's either that or like the forecast. If you look down the coast for you know a week from now, as far out as we can get it, is like high of 60 degrees, low of like 55. So I'm like, yeah, yeah but that's either, more your style. Yeah, no, I like it. It's good. That's it's more good. Your style. Like I won't even need to put the liners <clears throat> in my uh, in my yeah. Alpine Stars gear at all. No, I just I just run it the way it is. Yeah. But anyway, so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about about the you know the situation here in a minute, but. I wanted to tell you what's coming up, uh, you know, in this one, we're going to talk about Moto America, the hot one and, and what happened in all the classes. MotoGP in Assen happened over the weekend, and there were some interesting things going on there that we're going to talk about. Uh, and we're going to preview World Superbike Donington Park. That's coming up this weekend and talk a little American flat track results. And hey, if you want to support us, as some of you have recently, we appreciate it. Uh, we have a Patreon page. So you can go to patreon.com slash Greg's Garage TV if you're interested in supporting the channel. I'm sure as my schedule settles down after I get back from Laguna riding across country that we'll have more opportunity to do some interviews. We'll use clips on the podcast and I'll put the longer versions of those up so you get a little bit of extra on there. Um, Yeah, so there's that. And then if you're just listening to the podcast for the first time, give us a subscribe. We love that. And also I'm doing this thing, Greg's Ride to the Races, where I'm riding a Hudson Valley Motorcycles Multistrada V4S I've already gone halfway. Well, I've gone across the country. Yeah. Now I'm going to go down to Laguna and back across the country. And I am doing some video stuff. So you can follow that on YouTube at Greg's Garage TV. That's the channel. Greg's Garage TV. All one word. Go check that out. Um, I'll be doing stuff on social media as well. Just posting different stuff. I did have to get a new phone. I got a new iPhone yesterday, Jason, because my old new iPhone, which was the XS, which died after Rota Atlanta from rain and I had insurance. So I got a new That's one, right? Right. That one took a rock in the camera and the oh, autofocus God. won't stop bouncing around. I remember you showing me that. Yeah. It's weird. Right. And, but you'd be amazed at how many opportunities I've missed to take good photos on these trips to kind of talk about the trip. So no, you need that. You'd need it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I got the new phone and our boy Ollie hooked you up. Did he? He did, yeah. Yeah, Ollie uh, helped out. 
And uh, that was awesome. Thanks, Ollie, for that hookup, man. It was great. And uh, saved me a little bit of dough on that. And it was lickety split. So anyway, that's all that stuff. So now it's time for news presented by Arai. Hey, Jay, did you know that all Arai helmets are lined with an antimicrobial material? Yep, the interior liner gives you odor resistance, dirt resistance, and those antimicrobials that you love so much. And why not? It has been hot in some parts of the country, and you're sweating that helmet so definitely get those antimicrobials. Now, you can stay fresher longer and enjoy a comfortable ride in the latest Arai helmet. Go check out AraiAmericas.com, pick what you like, then head down to your local dealer for fitment and grab yourself a new lid, AraiAmericas.com. Now, I'll tell you something, Jason, honestly, yeah. as part of like, I'm so happy that when I get to Laguna, I have a washer and dryer. Not only do I have clothes to wash, but you can pull the liners out and put them in the washer and dryer. And I gotta get those fresh because my helmet Thanks. Yeah, Thanks. Brutal. I I wish I had a bald head. I'm so mad now because we didn't talk about this, but I spent a thousand dollars on a hotel for three nights up at Laguna. I should have just gone and done what you did. Well, I yeah, looked up Airbnbs, or I should have just slept in your, you know, slept on the grass in your backyard of your Airbnb or something. Oh, you could do that. Yeah, yeah. I could, you throw, could throw a tent up there, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever, or do whatever you want to do. Hey, all right, Jay. So let's talk about this in the news, okay? So yeah, let's do it. What can you say? Last week, we missed the big news by one day, so we're going to talk about it now. Seems like we're a little late to the party because it's been talked out, but we haven't. Maverick Vinales and Yamaha break up after a five-year relationship. I wonder who's getting the dog. But anyway, Jason, what are your thoughts about Maverick <laughs> and Yamaha parting ways? It's bizarre, really, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, I read a quote the other day that somebody wrote that... um I think he won like three out of his first five races with Yamaha or four out of his first five. When he very first signed with Yamaha, remember how dominant he was? He was fastest in every test. I mean, guy won a Grand Prix right off the bat this year and arguably could have won Doha too. He just didn't get through guys as quickly as, as Quattararo did. I, I, I don't know where the misstep has been. I don't understand it. I do know one thing. The bike's not bad enough to finish dead last two weeks ago. It's not bad enough to finish dead last when you got the guy um you know leading the world championship capable of still putting that bike on the podium at saxon ring and you're the teammate and you're running around in dead last there has to be obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of uh emotion there's a lot of uh i don't know what you would call it greg i i gotta think at saxon ring that's where it all boiled up but it's bizarre it's it is bizarre when you consider the guy then goes and puts it on pole the following weekend well, you I mean, want so so you know, so how bad this, is the bike? This is what I found interesting. So if you go to crash.net, one of the stories at the moment is about MotoGP rumors and all this kind of stuff. And I'm gonna read you something, okay? Yeah, this is it. from this is from his father. Mm -hmm. So in the article, there's two paragraphs. One of them says, When speaking to the media throughout the weekend at the Dutch TT, Vinyala seemed lost as to why the same issues have been plaguing him for over three seasons. However, According to his dad, Angel, you know, Vinales. Angel, nice, nice try, nice effort. Angel. Mm -hmm. uh, the crook of it is that the Yamaha's, quote, soft like butter nature has never suited his son. Vinales, this is the second paragraph. Vinales Sr. added, quote, Maverick is not leaving Yamaha because the bike is bad. So that's clear. But because Yamaha doesn't give the bike he need, a failed and failed to adopt the motorcycle that has 
that Yamaha has. The bike suits Lorenzo or Quadraro's riding style. It's soft like butter. Maverick needs a stiffer motorcycle. Why? Because Maverick is like Mark Marquez. They attack yeah, right. harder in order to exploit the potential. And I was reading that quote and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so does Vinales not have an offer right now to go ride somewhere else? Like, are they trying Crazy. to get Honda? Is he? Does he want to get on a Honda? No, like, I don't think, I didn't read into that, but I always find it funny when people compare themselves to the greatest, one of the greatest of all time. Like, like, and I, you know, and I'm sure it's just more of a reference thing than anything else, but, um, you know, ask Paul Spargo how that's worked out. Um, <laughs> yeah. But regardless of that, I mean, uh, obviously, again, how bad could the bike be when guy puts it on pole? But if you watch that race on the weekend, and we'll get to MotoGP here in a minute, you see how long it took him to get through guys and how little time it takes Quattro to get through guys? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I don't think, this isn't like a deal where the thing that comes to mind is when you look at guys like Lorenzo, when he was on the Ducati to start with, he was nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be found. Rossi on that Ducati was nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be found. Um, Paul Spargo this year, in fairness, kind of nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be found. I mean, there's like a, there's a huge de detachment from a result to anything else. I mean, it's not like Vinales isn't getting results. He has got them. I mean, the guy, like I said, he's won a race this year. So it's really bizarre, isn't it, Greg, when you look at it and you think, and you think, obviously, there's not, they're not that far off. Somewhere along the line here, somebody's feelings have gotten hurt. Where Quattro has turned into the guy, maybe some of Yamaha's sources have got resources have gone to him a little bit sooner. But I mean, when you look at it, there's nobody on a Yamaha doing what Quattro is actually doing. Vinales is super inconsistent. Rossi and Morbidelli are nowhere to even be seen this year. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty wild when you sit there and you think that a guy like Vinales and then, but, but when you also look at it, there's six rides up for grabs right now, Greg, there's six rides up for grabs in MotoGP. There's one at Aprilia. There's one at KTM two on the Rossi side of things. And now there's two Yamaha rides. If I'm, if I'm got that mapped out, correct, that's six, that's six rides. But we don't know really about Rossi if he's going to retire or not. No, but I'm saying that on his team. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's got there's there's. But two I'm saying on the and, on the Yamaha oh, yeah, side yeah. of things. There's, yeah, there's he's kind gone. Of one he's which gone. is Vinales. There's no deal. question. I mean, yeah. But he's all right, gone. so let, but let's talk about Vinales again. So he's been linked to two rides: a Prilia yeah. ride, and he's been linked to the second seat at the Valentino at the VR46 Ducati. Um, what would you rather see him on? On the Ducati or on? Because think about it, if you go to Ducati, they already have three riders that are allegedly on equal level equipment, right? Which is going to yeah. be Zarco and then the that two guy. Lenovo and, yeah, Miller. and yep. Miller. So how much, how many parts can they possibly make that are going to be top notch, you know? Yeah. But you know that he's going to be on the best that Aprilia has to offer. But how many people turned it down last year? Two, three, Moto2, including well, the Joe bike, Roberts? I think this year the bike has proved itself a lot more. And when you think about it, Ducati has to be involved in this the structure with these new teams, like a new team like Rossi's coming on board because they're going to have eight bikes next year. I mean, they're not going to want to have a huge gap between motorcycles. And if you're going to start to go get A-list guys, I mean, look, Ducati's throwing everything at this now to try to win a MotoGP championship. It just seems like they haven't been able to do it when their bike has been the best. So now we're going to fill the grid. I mean, if they get more guys on there, if you have like a, 
of Vinales, Zarco, Miller, Bagnaya, and I mean Jorge Martino will be better next year. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys on Ducatis at this stage. So the Aprilia though has gotten to be a lot better. Where does that leave Dovi? I mean, does Dovi now is he is he on the hot seat for one of the Yamaha seats now? If there were two Yamaha seats available, he's often said that he'd like to get back to riding one of those things. I mean, it's it's um there it, it's actually interesting now. There's a lot of really cool things going on. There's a couple guys like Digi Antonio that announced that he's going to be in MotoGP now. Um, so I think that there's a lot of their MotoGP now is going this route where they want to find these young, young kids that they've been, you know, the next Quattararo um, or whatever to bring up and, and through. And Quattararo, again, is a guy that has proven that you don't need to win a Moto2 championship to jump into MotoGP and do well. So I just think that, that there's a lot of intrigue and interest right now on who is going to take some of those seats. More news items. The FIM and Supercross have parted ways. Nearly a couple decades of partnership of calling it the AMA, FIM, you know, blah, blah, blah. What does this mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah, not not much. I mean, I mean it, you know. It's, a, it's always been a domestic championship. I mean, just because you go into Canada doesn't make it a world championship. I've never understood American sports, you know. Like Greg is like. Calling the football the world champion. Yeah, and World Series. That's not the World Series. There's nobody in the world that, that really comes and plays in it. Canada it's great that we have a couple teams across the border, but it's not a world championship. It's, it's just, I mean, the reality of it is that's, that's what it is. It's, it's a domestic championship for whatever reason that didn't get worked out between the powers that be in supercross, but I don't think that you're going to see any change. I can see any difference in the series. No, no. The, the only difference you're going to see is that's why we need Wygant on here. Well, yeah, I know. I was going to say Jason probably knows better. I mean, my guess it has to do with money. I think, I think, uh, you know, if you look at Feld Entertainment, who runs Supercross, they probably lost a lot of money during COVID because they're very dependent on having fans. And I, I would imagine the FIM sanctioning costs a lot of money. And they were just like, well, do we really need this? Do I mean, the, really only, the, yep. the only big difference is, is that when someone comes to grab you to piss into a cup for drug testing, they're going to be part of USADA, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, instead of WADA. The world yeah. anti-doping agency. I mean, <laughs> beyond that, you know, maybe I'm missing something, but oh, okay, great. I mean, it, was it even worth a press release? You yeah. Know? So yeah. anyway, so so, but it was a news item, so I thought I'd throw yeah, it in there. Perfect. All right. Throw it in there, um, yeah. Spanish news. Uh, Spanish news outlet Marca is reporting that Moto three P Moto three stud Pedro Acosta might sign a two year deal with Red Bull KTM in Moto two. What do you think, Jay? You think like, all right, you got half a season or whatever, eight rounds, whatever it is under your belt. You're ready to move on already. You think they're oh, yeah. moving these kids too fast or not? No, no, no. He's ready. He'll be, he'll be fine in Moto2 next year. He'll win the Moto3 championship this year, and then he'll move forward. That's the progression that they need to see. And they've got two really young, hot prospects, don't they, right now, and Raul Fernandez and Pedro Acosta. And it'll be all the, all the rumors are right now is that Fernandez is going to get jumped to MotoGP next year. And uh, so that's going to be interesting to see. So Acosta is going to jump up and take that seat and, and, uh, and go from there. So, I mean, Acosta is more than ready. Don't you think? I mean, the kid was a rookie this year comes in. He's, I mean, I don't even know what his championship lead is. We'll get to Moto three in a little bit and talk about that, but you know, Greg, that's uh, I know that's it for the news. I think that when we start talking about this last weekend, you and I were both up in Washington. I was up there for nine straight days. Like I said, hot, 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 but you know, there's nobody hotter right now in our series than Jake Gagne. I mean, Gagne comes out 
Uh, it comes off a brainer test that you were lucky enough to go to. We talk, talked about that last week. Goes from that test uh, a little bit beat up because he'd had an accident up there. And uh, I had talked to him on Thursday morning before they, they skipped the first practice session Thursday morning. Dunlop had a tire test up there as they normally would when there's a new track that's being uh, laid down. So the, you know, the Ridge to their credit up there, they've done some really nice things. The track surface now, Greg, I know you got a chance to ride it a little bit too. It, it's perfect. Well, it was um, before Sunday, but before right, Sunday, we'll yeah. talk about that. Um, talk about that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. Sorry, the ridge. Um, um, yeah. No, but but I mean, nobody. Yeah, no, new, it. brand new asphalt. Oh, and so, so Dunlop perfect. tire testing and curbings. because and curbings, fresh paint, and I'm I didn't get a chance to talk to um, oh, who's dad? Um, uh, Debrino's dad, right, is the one who runs that paint thing. I think, and and so I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but I'm pretty sure that that it's like FIM approved paint that it's aggregating mm. the paint for grip and all that kind of stuff. Well, guys were running over it a lot this weekend and you didn't hear one complaint, not one. Mm -hmm. So obviously it was really good. So Greg, when we go to look at our Hano Superbike right now, Gagne is on fire. Um, he ends up winning the first race um, by 4.1 seconds. And, and I'm just going to bring it up. He ends up winning the second race by 5.6, both over resurging Josh Heron, who looked amazing this weekend. Josh rode really, really well. Um, was able to keep his teammate in sight most of the day, the first day. The second day, he actually challenged him going into turn one. Um, they went in there side by side. Gagne was able to get the better of him in the chicane there, um, but only just. So Heron rode really well. Camp Peterson, the first day ends up third. Second day ran into some issues. He ends up sixth. So race one, basically, Greg, went Gagne, Heron, Peterson. Loris Baz ends up fourth with a little bit of lack of grip. Skultz. Corey Alexander ends up six on his stock thousand. We'll get to some more talk about Corey in a minute. Anthony Bobby Fong, <clears throat> whose season just continues to stay strange. Jake Lewis and Jason Uribe, <clears throat> sorry, rounded out the top 10. Race two, it was Gagne, Heron, and Baz. <clears throat> this time, Baz still ends up some 12.6 back. Really, a really interesting thing about Baz all weekend was he was legitimately fastest um, on Friday. I mean, like he was putting in long, long uh, laps or a lot of laps in practices and stuff, Greg. And then in qualifying, he actually had provisional pole, but he ends up having kind of a rough, a rough race weekend. Um, he ends up third in the race. Matthew Skultz, who was really strangely and oddly nowhere near anything this weekend. Like, we, I, I mean, did we barely even talk about Matthew? Um, it was really interesting to see Matthew just kind of not be a non, a, non, a bit of a non-factor up there. Hector Barbara ends up fifth. Um, again, another story about him, Greg, was qualified well, looked good. Then he then he has a problem in race one, which puts him, I think it was like 15th or 18th on the grid for race two. But he had some speed on that shabby BMW. He ends up fifth. Camp Peterson with issues, again, in race two uh, for the Suzuki. Uh, he ends up sixth. Bobby Fong, seventh with, with issues as well. Dave Anthony, Corey Alexander, Jason Uribe rounded up top 10. What's your takeaway? Sorry, that was long. No, it's fine. I mean, the takeaway is there, there's a couple things. I mean, first and foremost, obviously, just whatever Gagne's magic, he's got it. He comes in hurt. It was the pad of his left hand. You didn't hear the broadcast. And Jake, it was bothering him enough, Jason, where Jake yeah. actually took Advil for like the first time in his life. Like, yeah. you know, as you know, Jake's very, you know, like kind of just a you know, holistic, down-to-earth, nature yep. kind of guy. He eats really well. He loves nature. He loves being outside. He's a surfer, 
all that kind of stuff. And yeah, he's just never been one to do, you know, just take an Advil to take an Advil, you know? Yeah. 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 So he was like, yeah. And he goes, and it really helped. And I said, I, I think it would because since you don't take it, you know, yeah. you probably was effective, but that was, I a can big... relate to that though. GW, you know how I was all, oh, yeah. all along. I was exact same. I never, I never took anything, but you said something really interesting and you might've been getting to this, but the thing is, is that when you don't take something, when you never, ever, ever take anything, sometimes all an Advil does is just knocks the edge off enough because your body is, is like saying, Whoa, I'm, what is this? Mm-hmm. And when you're used to not taking things like, like I was, um, I found, I mean, even traveling across the world, I, I got hurt in France once that was pretty badly. I had a broken heel and a broken wrist and I get to San Jose after flying all the way from Paris and Doc Ting says, you know, what'd you, you know, what meds are you on? I'm like, Oh, I took two Advil. <laughs> what? <laughs> but it was just enough to knock the edge off for me, you know? Um, and obviously gone, he's a tough guy. So, uh, you know, that actually, that <clears throat> philosophy that we're talking about kind of hurt me a little bit. So in 2007, <clears throat> when I was at Utah and got knocked off and then had the lung collapse, mm-hmm. you know, and it was ambulance from turn 15 to another ambulance in the pit, then to the helicopter yeah. flight. I didn't Good get times. any medication until the helicopter flight. Yeah. And I was, I was hurting and I couldn't breathe. But when I, you know, I mean, you know me, Jay, I don't drink. I don't do any of that. I don't even do cold medicine. I try no. to avoid it as much as possible. So they give me that medicine, the the painkillers, whatever it was. And I was like, woohoo, this is yeah. great. Yeah. And when I got to the ER, I was just yakking it up with, with all the doctors. Hey, everybody, how you doing? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And so they kind of ignored <clears throat> me. They ignored me for over three hours. And then you weren't, you're, you weren't hurting enough. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I wasn't, yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. I didn't know and like I should act There's hurt. something to be said for that. Yeah. Yeah. So then it was three hours later where they get me into an MRI machine. And then it was probably 30 minutes after that where the doctor comes bursting into the room with a scalpel and no pain meds after my pain meds had worn off and then cuts into my chest and then reinflates the lungs. So I was like, yeah, well, I felt really, I remember feeling good. I was just joking with the crew too. I'm like, why am I strapped to this thing? I'm paying for the, I knew I was going to have to pay as a $15,000 helicopter ride. Yeah. And all I got to look at were knobs and switches because they strap your head down onto the, and I'm like, I'm oh, fine. Yeah. Like yeah. I, there's a window right to my left. Let me see what Utah looks like from up here. It was, uh, a, it was a helicopter ride. You yeah. Know? Yeah. If anyway, whatever, whatever. So, so Gagne just, he, Gagne looks, Gagne right looks great, Jason. He's smooth. It, everything's working. They roll it off the truck. They got a great baseline. So anyway, one of the other takeaways, obviously, is Heron. You know, that Heron only finishes yep. four seconds, five seconds behind. <clears throat> um, if you look at the race times, race two was, I believe, like five seconds longer than race number one. And, you know, that's exactly Heron's pace was almost identical in terms of the distance to Jake. That was pretty good. Yep. The, the, the Warhorse HSBK Ducati New York thing with Baz has been an up and down affair. The Ridge was the first track that they'd gone to that Zanetti was at last year. The difference is they were on a stock, that stock thousand bike that's last right. year, not the full-blown super bike. And Zanetti fell, and that's what kind of got dinged up. And if you remember last year at the Ridge, we had a lot of bikes get absolutely destroyed. We had a lot of accidents. We had transports. We had, you know, I think a lot of people left the Ridge last year with a bit of a bad taste in their mouth. And I think that Zanetti was definitely one of them because after that, he went on a run where he never got, didn't finish on the podium. And, and the track changed. I mean, the track, the track itself this year was much better. So we didn't see some of that, that stuff that we saw year, from years past. Yeah. So the thing is, <clears throat> one of the things that I have to give props to Moto America, there's two things that they did this weekend that I really liked. One is there's so many entries in stock thousand 
that they said, okay, if you're top five in points, we're going to allow you to practice with the super bikes and qualify with the super bikes. But in the 45 minute session, you have 30 minutes and you have to get off. So you don't get an advantage for stock thousand. And that's to try to free the class up a little bit. They were listening to what the riders were complaining about, about the difference in speed. You can talk more about that. But the second thing they did, Jason, was because of concerns last year and the incidents into the chicane off the start is that they did try. They took four top superbike riders and they went one at a time from a grid position that would have put them a lot closer to the chicane, missed the chicane. They've gone straight into turn number one and they left it up to the riders. And ultimately, it was the riders who said, we'd rather use the chicane and you and i both were like "Ooh, really i don't you know like we were listening we were standing right there when they were doing that start and you could hear they were in third gear just like they were but the riders felt that they were a little bit too far to the right where when you come out of the chicane you're not that far over to the track they thought people would bunch up and to their credit this year i don't think we had i mean i didn't watch every single race but i don't think you you know we we didn't we didn't have any car excuse me we didn't have any carnage there and I'm with you. I still think that if they ran it straight, it wouldn't have been a big deal. It gives people more chance to get in line and kind of move around. And there was four riders, Cam Peterson, Bobby Fong, Gagne, and um, Heron, right? And and Heron all did it. And um, one of the guys, one of them was like, no, let's use, let's go straight. Uh, the other three were like, ah, I, let's use the chicane. Now, the chicane this year, though, Greg, was much, much better. So to their credit, it was a good decision. Um, I, 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 I looked at it from a perspective of, we need more grid separation in the sense going down into turn one, than having it be where, uh, everybody's congregating into that tight chicane last year, uh, Moto America pretty much got blasted just from a, a social perspective of people watching and going like, why are they running this? But the Ridge made some huge improvements to that chicane, obviously with it being smoother and a more definitive idea of where the curbings were that made it much more easier for people to get through. They also paved a gigantic part of the chicane that wasn't paved last year. It was all dirt. So when you make the flop from the left to the right, there was a bunch of runoff there. So if guys did get in there deep, it gave them a chance to go out into the dirt. I mean, look, there were changes made. They did a great job. There was no carnage this weekend. So that was good. Uh, and hopefully moving forward, that'll never be an issue again, as far as that chicane goes. If that's how they're going to run it, then 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 leave it like that. But I did think it was great. Really nice work by Motor America to, you know, kind of listen to what the riders had to say there. Yeah, it was good. All right. Getting back to my impressions also on the Westby Racing Sculpt side of things, they just seemed a little bit lost. You know, mm-hmm. they came off of a very productive, a very directed uh Brainer test with the exception obviously of the last session where Matthew fell off and, and dinged up the bike at Brainerd. So I thought going in here, they were going to be really dialed in, but what they ended up doing was going from one day to the other Saturday to Sunday was going back to a setting uh, on the motorcycle that shortened up the wheelbase dramatically. And, you know, when you look at teams doing that, you can totally tell they were lost. They went to, yeah. Bra- they went from Brainerd to road America with a great test with the settings in there. They thought it was a baseline and they got there and it was totally wrong, totally off. I mean, there are different characteristics. You know, Brainerd's pretty much flat, man. I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah. got some camber in the banking, but beyond that, it's dead nuts where Is this it? track's got a lot of elevation. So yeah, it's it's I get it. So that was another takeaway. Like my takeaway is we're at the midpoint of the season. I think that something good has to happen with Westby. I mean, they've got to have two solid podium finishes at Laguna Seca, or, you know, I think the murmurs are going to start about what they're going to do 
as a team? What are they going to do with Matthew Skultz? I mean, they love him. Trig Westby loves yeah, him, but absolutely. How 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 much? How long can you put up with this up and down stuff? Just like the up and downs that we're seeing with Bobby Fong at this point, you know, and yeah. and some of which might be associated with Bobby, his physical condition. Some of it is associated with the team. It's yeah, it's been very interesting um, how this whole season really panned out versus what we expected it to be like. Yeah, well, I think that the series itself right now is getting a lot of play. So there's getting a lot more. Um, it's getting magnified a lot more. There's a lot of people. Yeah, a lot more pressure. Correct. There are people are seeing what the championship is about. I mean, look, we got Baz over here. We got Barbara over here. There's a lot of people. I get it. I get a lot of little WhatsApp messages about the series and um, and and things. So so I know there's a lot more people watching. A lot more people paying attention. There's going to be a lot more people vying for jobs over here, coming from World Superbike. Yeah, I'm 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 sure a Westby team or or any of the teams that we have are going to start to get. Uh, a lot of questions about, Hey, what's it going to take for us to get over to there? It's like, you know, so, so some of that's going to come uh, as far as the heat goes, it's going to come onto some of the riders as well. So we'll see how that all ends up. I, you know, obviously we're, we're what four rounds into our championship right now. So mm-hmm. uh, we got Laguna coming up. Uh, we still got a lot, a lot of season to go and super sport, Greg, we had another double winner and it was pretty dominant to me. And you can't let the distance between first and second really indicate um the dominance of what sean dylan kelly had um it just looked like he had escalante kind of covered this weekend escalante led at one point um in race number one for about seven corners before he made a mistake going into the top section there turn 13 but in race one stk goes on to win by 1.2 seconds almeida was a really nice welcome to third in fact our podium looked the same both days didn't it we had escalante second almeida third the first day almeida was was 16 seconds back the second day he was 21 seconds back Lockoff ends up finishing fourth in race one with landers doyle nolan lampkin nasini minster and um alex thermiotis that was our top 10 in race one and race two greg uh sdk ends up winning by uh, the smallest of margins but again i didn't feel like it was as close as the 0.107 shows um sdk kind of controlled the pace uh controlled what was going on at the front he ends up uh, uh, first and second again, Almedo third. Lockoff, who was running a pretty strong third with about five laps to go, runs off the track to hand that spot over to Almedo. Benjamin Smith, who was a, who got uh, kind of cleaned out the day before by Rocco Landers, ends up fifth. Rocco ends up sixth. And to Rocco's credit, I don't know if you saw it on, on his social media, but he, he, he did write a nice apology to Benjamin Smith, um, uh, I thought it was pretty classy that he at least did that. Uh, just kind of saying, hey, there was a there was a window open there for me. I thought I could get through it. And I ended up running into the side of Benjamin and knocking him over. Uh, so Rocco ends up six. Dom Doyle, Fernandez, Nassani, and Thermiotis again with another top 10 finish. Um, 600 looks a little different this year. It looks like pace is going a little bit faster. Um, these guys were in the low 43s in qualifying. And then all of a sudden, STK just goes out and rips off a 42.7. When you put some of that in perspective, Greg, the superbikes raced, they actually raced at, I believe it was 41s. So this guy in qualifying does a 42.8 or 42.7 or whatever it was. Um, it just seems like SDK is a little bit more locked in. Jeremy Toy and him are getting a lot out of that bike right now. They've made very, very minor adjustments talking to them. Chris Orch has been a big part of that, obviously team owner um being involved with helping that team get that bike a little bit better 
but but SDK, I he's I, I'm a believer. Yeah, no, I'm a I am as well. Yeah, I thought um, you know if you looked at the schedule and you looked at the the temperature and all that kind of stuff, they started an hour earlier on Sunday, but because it was so much hotter, it was almost identical in terms of temperature. Yeah, and so I thought, okay, you know, we, we I was expecting you know a very similar race, but if you look at the race time there, you know, STK only missed out by a couple seconds in terms of his race win. You know, it was like a 27 minute 55 of the first day, a 27 minute 59, and he lost by a tenth. He had a command; he kind of commanded that that deal. But I wonder if he kind of roached his tire out a little bit, and that allowed Escalante to come back on him. But it doesn't really matter. Wins a wins a win, and he's doing all the right things right now. He's just laser focused, but he's balancing it with, you know, with some good laughs. He's not taking it too seriously. And I think the biggest change mentally for SDK in talking to Jeremy Toy is that they're looking at it now, race to race to race, as opposed yeah. to last year he was trying to think at the end of the year, what's his chance? Yeah. I need to do this yeah, for the this championship. Is... Oh my goodness, I'm down points for the championship, <clears throat> and so that that's a huge change. On the Kevin Almeida front, it's so good to have him back. It's so good to have him on the podium. He's such a great guy to hang out with, and yeah, he's he always really got a smile. Can't emphasize it enough. I mean, you gotta if you see Kevin Almeida in the pits, you gotta stop and have a conversation with him. But <clears throat> I think the biggest thing for Kevin Almeida is if you look at it and you go, okay, he was able to to rip off a forty five flat on the first day, a forty five two on the second day, not too bad, but that four extra seconds back. It's got to be part of it's got to be shoulder and the fact that you've got to, as Kevin told me, Jason, he's like, it's more physical when things get greasy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You've got to put more energy into controlling the motorcycle. So that, that was a big thing for him. His shoulder was already tired from it being greasy on Saturday and just 24 hours or 23 hours to recover wasn't enough for his shoulder just yet. No, that's exactly right, Greg. And I think that you hit the nail on the head that when, when the bike starts moving around a little bit more underneath you, it does create you to be sometimes a little bit more physical. And, um, but it's just so good to see him back on the podium smiling. Like you said, Greg, he's such a good guy. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully we'll see him. I know he went back home to what, El Salvador mm-hmm. and, and I, I know he went back there and gets to see his family, get some more rehab on that, on that shoulder itself. And, uh, but I thought, well, I mean, it's just a big boost for him. For that team, I mean, Altus has really stepped up the last couple of years. We, we we didn't talk about them a lot last year, in the sense of a lot of the different classes because they were leading stock thousand um, with Cam Peterson. Let's not forget that's that led to a, a direct seat on a superbike for Cam, and that came right through that Altus um, the Altus family there. So the fact that um, Altus is also doing well in six hundred, they field rider in Junior Cup and Hayden Bickney. So Altus is a big part of our paddock and. You know, with Kevin Almeida right now, they got something special. Now, when we go on to Junior Cup, G-Dub, let's talk about that for a minute because there were some shakeups there. <clears throat> the first day, Max Toth gets his first win, which was really, really great for, for him and his Veloci racing team. Uh, as, as it would turn out, they'd have two guys on the podium that day, <clears throat> not maybe by the visual of what we watched, but we found out the next day that Tyler Scott, who did end up second, got penalized. More on that in a minute. Glotti ended up second the first day with Kolstad getting third, which would mean that it was two Veloci racing bikes on that podium. Um, Tyler Scott bumped down to fourth. Rodeo Wyman, Max Van seventh. Blake Davis. Kayla Yakov ends up ninth. Great there you go. Yeah, I got it right, right? I got yep. it right. Yep. Uh, Aiden Thau ends up 10th on the first day. On the second day, 
Tyler Scott wasn't having any of what happened on the first day affect him the second day as he runs away by 3.6 seconds. Um, he ends up his quickest lap of the race was some seven tenths quicker than that of Bangladi, who walks away with two second place finishes. Colstead again on the podium gets third. This time he does it on track. Rodeo fourth. Wyman. Yakov ends up sixth. Greg, what a tremendous effort by that young lady. And she's already off on her way to Donington Park. I saw on her social media. So good luck to Kayla. Blake Davis ends up seventh. Thou moves up a couple spots to eighth. Jack Roach ninth. And Chase Black ends up tenth. Now, when you look at this, it it looked by by what but by what we watched the first day and as close as the racing was, the second day they definitely found something for Ty Scott as he ends up uh, winning the race a lot more convincingly. Uh, a tremendous start. The first day, Greg, he got penalized for running through the chicane after the checkered flag. So the checkered flag is just before the bridge. There, there were there were notices put out about running the checkered flag, uh, running the chicane, <clears throat> and. You know, when we, you and I showed up at the track Sunday to find out that, because we had done our, our, our post meeting on Saturday afternoon about what we would be talking about Sunday and our standups, you and I, you and I got back to the track and we found out that he got penalized. I think it came to a shock to, as a shock to both of us. To say the least. Yeah. You know, it, the, the problem with having this conversation, you know, is we work for Moto America. Correct. But, Moto America doesn't really make the rules here. It's AMA, FIM. Yes. And our biggest thing isn't to say you guys messed up, you did this. What we are confused about is wh why. I mean, as, as I've always been told, when the checkered flag flies, the race is over. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, I understand it as they're still at being, <laughs> being a guy who would never finish up front in AMA Nationals. <laughs> That, you know, Jason, if you, when you took the checkered flag, I could be all the way in turn, you know, whatever, turn three and yeah. still have all that lap to go. And I'm still racing and I'm still trying to get my result and I still have an opportunity to throw it away. So I understand it's a, the idea that the race isn't done for everyone, that if you blow the chicane, there could be people racing through the chicane. It could cause a safety issue. I understand all that. But on the other hand, it's 106 degrees or whatever it was, 101, 102 degrees when that race yeah, is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that was 106 because yeah, it was hot. Junior Cup, yeah, was the last it race of the day. Yeah. And and up there, the peak, the peak heat is like 4, 5, and 6 o'clock, not 2, 3, 4 like they are, you know, where we live, where I live anyway. So anyway, it wouldn't surprise me, dude. You just get done with that close race. You get done with that finish. You know, you're hot. You want to unzip your leathers, cool down. I mean, why would you want to turn it left, turn it right again? Just go straight. Like, I totally understand the mentality. Visually, of it. you can see everything in front of you. Yeah, Level. and you, you can. And that's the yeah, thing. It's yeah, like, yeah. but I understand too. I mean, what if what if he was any rider so worn out, Jason? You know what I mean? Like, they're kind of losing I can't losing think their of mind. a scenario, right? I don't know. I know. You're, 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 you're trying to think of a scenario and you can't. And the problem is, is that one of the greatest things that I think that, and I've said this a million times on this podcast, Moto America, there our race direction does a, a really nice job with what they need to to go through. There comes to me, there's a common sense side of everything when it comes to racing a motorcycle right now around the world. And I'm not even talking about Moto America. The stuff that we see overseas right now has completely like I don't even want to watch Moto 3 anymore. I literally don't even want to watch it because I can't keep up on it. Like I watch Acosta finish seventh or whatever he finished. The next thing you know, he's fourth. And I just, I'm over, I'm over it. You know, I'm, I'm over. I, 
It's completely disinterested me. So when it comes to stuff like this, we have a chicane that you legitimately can run through at the ridge. They added some pavement there, which is great to where if you get in there a little bit too hot, you can stand it up. And I get all that too. But what I'm saying is that, is that when you have a chicane that you can go straight through uh, and you're going to get penalized, um, especially at the end of the race, there was nobody behind Tyler Scott. Okay. There was nobody like directly behind him. So it wasn't like the, it wasn't like he didn't need to put his hand up or whatever the case is. I just look at it. Like there would have been nobody in that paddock that would have said, Oh, yep. Dock in five seconds. That's my thinking. Okay. Nobody's going to go dock in five seconds. Now, if they sent out stuff saying you, you absolutely cannot run through the chicane. I get it. There was other guys that ran through the chicane that got penalized five seconds that, that didn't have any, benefit of running through the chicane they put their arm up they gave up track position they did whatever and still get docked to me that's just bringing stuff into play that doesn't necessarily have to be brought into play and i'm glad this isn't a situation that comes up all the time in our series i'm glad we go to racetracks that don't have this this big of a problem you know we have a chicane at road america where people cut through and there's a tire thing that you have to go through and then you got to blend back in i don't really remember ever that anybody getting docked there. Um, I just feel that, that like you say too, it's gotta be hard for the people at Moto America. If this is getting brought down from a Dorna FIM side of things, um, it's probably hard for them to talk to the writers and try to make sense of some of it myself themselves. I would think. Yeah. I mean, so. I, you know, I'm not passing judgment on if it's, if it was right or if it was wrong. For sure. But what I am saying is I'm baffled by it. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I am too. I am, I am too. And that was the whole thing. It was like, wait, what, why, why, why that? Yeah. You know, and then, and then, you know, it, at, at this the, stage. Yeah. Go ahead. No, here, I'm sorry. Here, here's yeah. the thing. All right. This is going to get a little philosophical, but here's the thing. None of this stuff is written in stone. They're human beings that decide that these are the rules and there's human beings that can decide whether the rule makes sense. I go back to a couple of races ago with Joe Roberts. What was that? Mugello maybe? Yeah, Mugello, yeah. That's right? a good one here, yeah. He's straight up and down and he barely touches the green and they penalize him. If he does. Talking? I mean, it could be that the wheel itself. We the saw the video. We saw the video. No, we saw yeah. the video. Like he touched yeah. it by millimeters, okay? By nothing, yeah. By nothing. And it was really a function of how they ended up with the paint. Like that's the whole thing. It's so Correct. arbitrary that they just want kind of cut off an angle if you go back and yeah. look at it. Anyway, so my point is, is that these are human beings making these rules. There has to be some type of common sense applied to it. I think it would be pretty argue, pretty easy to argue if you're race direction or whoever's making these decisions to say, the reason we're not giving Joe Roberts a penalty is because the idea of the green paint is to say, this is imaginary grass. If you were leaned over in the grass, you would crash, but we don't want you to crash, okay? So Joe Roberts was straight up and down. I bring the Mugello again, Moto3, go back and look towards the end of the race. They were 11 wide, maybe halfway through the race, past that. And one rider's off in the grass. That rider doesn't actually get it. So if there's real grass and you run over it and you make it, you're okay. But if you run over the imaginary grass, you have all well, kinds of problems. And let's just talk about that real quick because Max Toth got a taste of that in race two at the Ridge where he did get his tires over the paint, got oh onto the grass goodness. and a huge crash. We were almost forgot about this one, a huge crash as he was leading. Actually, he was in third at the point at that point, but he was leading a big group of guys. Cody Ryman ran over both of his legs 
and he was up and, and hit his hand it. by the way he hit his hand first yeah then ran over both of his like his unbelievable his hand hit the front tire yeah yeah so when you look at it he did touch the grass and he did crash now this is going to seem really spiteful and i don't want this to sound this way this is this is and this is I probably should have talked about Max Toth's crash at the time, but I'm at the stage now. I'd rather have it be grass because at least then you have a definitive idea of if, it, like you say, Greg, guys run off out and could run off in the grass all the time and still make it okay. Now you start bringing in the old, oh, if he throws up a rock and it goes to the radio to the guy behind him, what are you going to penalize? <laughs> the, the, the problem is, is it's just we've we've gotten lost somewhere where I understand that things have to evolve. I understand things have to to get better, but. There is a, don't you think that every single person now realizes that they're getting scrutinized and every single person realizes they're not going to try to get away with anything? I think it's pretty simple to tell if somebody gains a distinct advantage or does not gain a distinct advantage. I don't think that that is a hard decision. If I'm race direction, I can literally sit next to you. I could sit next to somebody and go, so what do you think? Think you gained an advantage? Yep. Then let's penalize them. Nope. Then let's not penalize them. I just feel even with our jump start stuff, I love the fact that Moto America says, here's what we're going to do. No more ride through penalties. That takes 25 seconds off it, it or more or more it changes the, it changes the climate of our actual race. If we've got a great race going up at the front, um, then, then this is what we're going to do. We don't have the ability to do long lap penalties at our track. Like they do at tra tracks across the world. So when you look at things, Moto America looked at it and went, Hey, that penalty is too harsh. You look at what Bobby Fong's jump start at Road Atlanta. He was third or fourth or fifth going into turn one. There was no advantage gain. He he lost position. He screwed up. But but by the letter of the law, he jumped the start. Let's just dock him three seconds or five. I think it's five seconds. Let's dock him those five seconds. Hey, that's that actually makes sense, right? Doesn't that actually make sense to you? Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean and, and the other thing you take into consideration if you're looking from a safety side of it. There are some tracks, as you know, Greg, that are easy to get off the track. There are some tracks that are harder to get off the track. So when you have a guy that's up in that lead group and he's trying to get off the racetrack, um, the last thing you want is the guy in third to be checking up to get off the racetrack in front of the lead group. So there's a safety aspect of it. I think it's a smart decision. That just makes sense. I mean, I think it makes sense to everybody around. That's what I would like to see. I would like to be able to have people that can make good common sense decisions and leave it to our race direction to like, you know, I think we got Rick Hobbs, Michael Martins uh, in there as well. Um, as far Dan as Argano. Writer, There's... Dan Argano, we got smart people. Like, and, and I, and, and regardless of that, we got, there's probably smart people over, obviously smart people in Europe too, that you can tell if there's a distinct advantage or not. I, I believe. Yeah. I mean, Jake, so, let me ask you this question. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How many, how many, how do I explain this? How many jumpstart rules have you been through over the years? Meaning, well, you know, I'm not even going to ask you. I'll just, you would you just comment on this. I have been around racing long enough to have been through rules that say, if you move at all, yeah, when the red light's on or whatever it was before the red light, if you move at all, once the one minute board goes sideways, it's a jump start. Do you I remember been, the older? Do you remember the hold older? Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah I've been sorry. through. Yeah. I've been through where you had a box, remember? And Correct. if your front axle didn't cross the outside line of the box, the front line of the box, it wasn't a jump start. You had the whole box to move, and people would line up towards the back of the box and try to get a run at it and time it perfectly. So I've been through so many different and seen so many different rules, and this is kind of the thing I'm talking about. It's like, okay, 
it's still a moving target. Jump starts are a problem. You know what I mean? Like it's pretty simple. Nobody move. Because the thing about a jump start is you don't just affect yourself, do you, Jason? It no, can it's affect a whole team. It's everything. Yeah. But but not just that. I mean, on the racetrack, like if you're the middle rider and with how we have the grid staggered, yes. We've seen it's normally the person on the right of that rider who's going to jump as well. It didn't happen to Reading this year, right? A movement, something happened, right? So it's not, and people behind you can see you move and all of a sudden they're going to move. So anyway. What a great, what a, by the way, what a great example that is because mm. Reading clearly jumped the start. Yeah. Clearly jumped it. And who was the other one that jumped it? Top Rack. They, they nailed Top Rack for the jump start, right? It wasn't yeah. it Top Rack that they did. It was Top Rack, I believe. And he stopped though. Yeah. He, so he, yeah. he, and, yeah. and he, and then, and then they penalize Reading after the race. Yeah. Like that just makes no sense. See, to me, that makes no sense. That is stupid. That is like, that is like race direction, not being consistent, not doing what they need to do. Um, All right. But let me, mind. let me pull it yeah. back one level. I'll pull it back yeah. one level. Yeah. There is also, we don't do the job. Okay. Yeah. So I am going to qualify that. There is a lot of stuff going on in race direction during oh. a race. I have oh to imagine God. a yeah. lot of stuff. So, and I'm not excusing away the behavior and I'm not excusing away the fact that they missed it, but I do know that there, it's not like nothing goes on once the race starts and they're sitting around going, okay, let's go ahead and sort through these penalties. I mean, I yeah. get it. It's a, it's a, it's a noisy place. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of corners, a lot of racers they're looking at all that kind of stuff. Part of the reason why Dorna in MotoGP brings in this little freaking system that like, you know, lines up with the green. And if you trip it, yeah, you know what I mean? Which, which we're going to talk about here. So we're, we're getting yeah. lost in the weeds, Jay. So yeah. Yeah. But, you're, you need to but, shut up already. You're keeping this way. Well, long. hold on. That's so, so what I do want to say though, about <laughs> junior cup and max Toth is yes. if I'm following and I, and I am an asshole. Okay. So well, I'm duh. following max Toth now on Instagram. Okay. Because I wanted to find out how he was doing after his crash. And Max put up there something along the lines of, oh, I see. Y'all don't follow me after my first race win. Y'all follow me after I crash and cause a big ruckus. And it was like, yeah, Max, if you're listening, that's the way it works. Sometimes well, no, that's the way I it think, works. <laughs> what I think is even better about that is it's... it's Because he crushed it, it on followers, by the way. He Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's got well, after the crash. Besides, besides that... In our mainstream media right now, sadly, the way it goes is, you know, we don't know anything about race winners over in Europe, but if there's a huge accident or a crash, I mean, do you realize, do you have any clue how much my social media blew up this weekend? I have got a list of people that have wrote me about Fabio Quattro swinging a golf club after that race. No, I bet. <laughs> like these are, oh, yeah. They, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I have friends that don't even watch MotoGP. Don't even watch it. They don't even know who Fabio Quattuaro is. Golf buddies, okay? Well, yeah, because they like, made hey, it, can yeah. You, can you do yeah. something with this guy? Because that golf swing of his ended up on every golf channel. Oh, like, it did? It did? Uh, oh, yeah, like <laughs> all different Instagram feeds. Well, hold on. Let uh, me interrupt you real quick. Yeah, so. Okay, going back to Road America, Steve Rapp crash, okay? The big crash heading into turn yeah. one. That crash made it all over, all like ESPN, yeah. Sports Center. Never, ever does racing, motorcycle road racing, especially AMA at the time, get mm -hmm. on there. Had Steve Rapp had social media back then, I mean, he'd have over a million followers. That thing made the rounds so much. Yeah. And by the way, Max, if you're listening, I don't, I'm not a social media guy, so don't be offended. I'll follow you. You know what I mean? So, well, he didn't direct it to me, but, but I think I want to say he started off the day 
before the crash was something like 3,800 followers. And by the time I saw it, he had well over 4,000. He was like, oh, okay, I see how you people are. Oh, it was pretty so funny. It wasn't just at you. That's great. I love no, it. it was that, it was that everybody. And it, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good sense of humor. Yeah. 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 So. Corey Alexander, Greg dominated his classes on the weekend. Stock thousand. See, I got that right. Everybody. So Greg stock thousand Corey Alexander was just the man to beat. Uh, he ends up winning the first race. After uh, Jake Lewis just took off and disappeared, wore out his tires a little bit. He told Jake Lewis said, I knew with eight laps to go, I was hosed. So mm -hmm. he, he, he burned up his tires. Corey wins. Jake Lewis ends up second. Michael Gilbert ends up third with Andy Debrino, our pole sitter, who did a tremendous job. Local guy. He's on pole. He ends up fourth. Andrew Lee, fifth. Yates, Wyman, Gerardo, Wyatt Ferris, and Danilo Lewis end up finishing in the top 10 on the second day. Uh, it was much the same. However, uh, Corey Alexander wins, but he had a charging Aaron Ashton Yates. Sorry, um, <laughs> you never, you're I'll never going to get used times. to that, you old man. Um, Ashton Yates rode so well, and to be fair, Ashton rode. I, th this is the kind of race I was expecting from Air Ashton all year long. Like I know I'm going to keep screwing it up. More I'll coffee for him, people, please. No, no, no. I had I had my coffee this morning. Um, Ashton rode so well. He rode so well in Atlanta. I kind of had expected him to be a little bit closer at a couple of the other tracks that we went to. We know the Honda's quick, Greg, mm -hmm. but at this particular track, uh, he rode amazing and kept Corey honest the whole race long. Travis Wyman ends up third. Lewis with a really nice job finishes fourth. Michael Gilbert finishes fifth. Debrina this time got slid back to sixth. Andrew Lee Wyatt Ferris, local guy Jeremy Coffey, ninth. Hunter Dunham ends up tenth. I mean, for this weekend specifically, uh, when you look at what Corey did, um, he ends up taking over the championships points lead because of some bad luck for Jake Lewis, who was actually leading race two oh. before having to pull off with an oil leak. We were all sitting there watching the TV with one. Broke my heart. Yeah. Jake's just literally one of the best guys we have in our paddock. So I hate seeing him have that issue. Um, Corey ends up now leading the championship. I think it's by eight points over Lewis with Michael Gilbert in third. But it wasn't just this class that Corey did so well in, Greg. In our Superbike Cup category, he ends up winning both of those as well. How the um, points? Where are the points? I haven't seen the points. What are the points? Uh, you know what? Let me look in the Superbike Cup. I, I got to see if they have that. Um, they do. They they normally do. Let me go look, too. So I'm they, pulling up Superbike. Let me have a look here, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cup Superbike Championship Cup. standings. Go. Travis Wyman is leading that now by six points over Corey. Ooh, getting snug. Ten point, yeah, and it's close also because Jake Lewis is only 10 points behind Wyman. So those three guys have a bit of a lead over Daniela Lewis, who's 53 points behind Travis Wyman. So um, our, our Superstock 1,000 riders, uh, this this class, <laughs> so this close. Stock 1,000. I know I'm screwing up <laughs> so Aston's close. name. So stock 1,000, <laughs> our Stock 1,000 riders. Uh, Corey actually ended up finishing sixth in race one in Superbike, so he got up on that that second row of the grid, which you got to think is a big advantage, right? Being in that class, stock thousand, and getting down to that short little run to turn one, he was able to kind of get away from all the other stock thousand competitors. Yeah, um, but man, it was good. He just, I mean, that that place suited him, didn't it? It did. It definitely did, especially late in the race. Like he wasn't really, he wasn't. I don't think he had a great Thursday test or Friday morning wasn't the best, but the tested team, everything on Thursday. They, they, he told me they ran through 15 different types of changes on, on that Thursday test. So they really used that to their advantage. 
I mean, the thing about Corey is, is late in the race, when the thing goes off, he's so good on the edge of the tire. Yeah. What was really impressive in race two, uh, when when he was making a charge, when Ashton Yates was making a charge, is a couple laps to go, it looked like the left side of the tire had pretty much had it. And Corey had a big moment on the left and then goes back the next lap and goes even faster than mm. the lap before. And you're like, yeah. wait a second. Most people that are smart will say, oh, there's a warning. The tire's not as good. So they go as fast on the right. And then when they get to that section, they're going to slow down. Not Corey, like smoothed no. it out and he didn't have the problem. And in talking with his crew afterwards, they were like, look, sometimes what happens is that he's got speed. He wants to get away. He's got a goal in mind. He starts to charge a little. When he charges a little, he gets into the corner, a smidge too hot. So he's going to be more aggressive with the gas. When the tire goes off, he backs it down just a little bit and goes a little bit smoother into the corner, more corner speed. And then is, yep. yeah, and you're just like, oh, okay. And he does it naturally. It's not like he's going, this is what I'm doing. It's all in his head. So he's great. I do, I do have to say this though, on record, I do like Jake Lewis more than I like Corey Alexander. So I was really upset that, that Jake Lewis had a problem. Oh, you're talking about so, on a personal level. On a personal level. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would have to agree yeah, with that. 100%, yeah, hundred percent. Corey is yeah. just he's hard to get along with. Yeah, he's rough. And he's a yeah, talker. He's, he's a chatterbox. So like yeah. we're always like on try, trying to talk on top of each other. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, always a rough. Totally. I was laughing so hard because poor Corey on um <laughs> We're on joking everybody. Corey's on both off. Sunday. On Sunday, we're getting ready to leave and and I ran down to the Hanos thing. Um, because they ended up sticking around Monday, you know. For factory rider Cole and factory rider Simon, uh, they end up sticking around for them. Poor Corey's down there with his shirt off, loading that semi. I know. And he was there Monday loading the semi. And I'm like, poor guy. Like, you know, back in the day, yeah, most of us would have been out of that track by 5:30 and back in our. I mean, RV the the, the Moto America setup is broken yeah. down, but there's so they bring out canopies for that day and unload bikes at the top and. Yeah. So it's not like the whole thing, but yeah, I know, I know. It's no, no, he was, I, it was, it was because Corey's literally put that program together. Right. I mean, Bo bottom line is no matter what happens, we need to see Corey Alexander and we need to see Jake Lewis on super bikes next year. Oh my gosh. Say. It'd be so great. And Ashton too. How great would it be if Honda could just pull their thumb out and somehow like get on board some of this stuff and like, let's, let's build a super bike for, for Ashton. Did I get it right that time, Greg? Maybe he could bring his dad back and, and they could be teammates. Who knows? Why don't you get, why don't we move on and get twins, right? How about we go to our fourth double winner? Did you realize that when we were there on the weekend, Gagne won both, SDK won both, Corey wins actually four. Jackson Blackman, come out weekend for Jackson Blackman, a guy who ends up missing the first round in Atlanta, and now I believe he's only three points out of the championship. Jackson Blackman on a tear this weekend. He ends up winning race number one um by 0.2 seconds caleb decrail was trying his best to get by wasn't capable of doing so blackman ends up winning over decrail hobbs Kamsuk ends up fourth schultz knowles fawcett taylor anoa and vest rounded out your your top 10 the first day second day jackson goes even quicker uh and he's got maziato who dominated and really practiced yeah maziato dropping an f-bomb on the podium big yep. fan Yep. Yep. And needs a haircut, which I liked. I think he, <laughs> one, one of his quotes, which I loved was, I forget who was asking the question. It was either Michael or obviously, or, or Robbie. I don't, I don't think it was, I know it wasn't Hannah. Basically said, how'd you get the old girl up on the podium or something? He's like, no, no, no. I think what it was, was Robbie like was tossing it down or something saying something about, yeah, exactly that. How did, like, uh, how'd you get her on the podium or something? And he goes, first off, it's a, he, 
and he said something about first talking about his bike first off it's a he um and then he talked about his long hair like you know i'm not a girl i'm not a girl like or something yeah. like that then yeah he, then he dropped an don't, don't let don't let the locks fool you but he said it was effing good to be back up on the podium good for anthony i hey, he's a kid that should be in our series full time by the way so he ends up mm-hmm. ending up second on a veloci racing also um and i think there was some there was some stuff there with warhorse or things going on with yeah that i think they built the bike i believe at war so I, like they were telling yeah on the sheet. Something like that, yeah. It was they, yeah. they were the Warhorse guys were telling me in passing. I think Bobby was saying like, "Yeah, I have a hand in that bike because I ran into Bobby from Warhorse HSBK Racing talking to Maziato, and they kind of mentioned it." So, but anyway, yeah. So Blackman ends up winning over Maziato the second day, which was really good for Jackson. I mean, to see him come and do the double. Uh, he's been in our series for quite a while, all the way from Junior Cup, as we know. He was hurt at the beginning of the year, but man, he. I'll tell you, it's the best I've ever seen him ride. Like he legitimately was super clean, super polished. And when I say clean, like, I mean, he didn't make any mistakes. Like he just did his thing. He got to the front, ran that pace, stretched the field out a little bit. The Krell ends up third the second day with Schultz, Hobbs, Barry, Kamsuk, Parrish, Knowles ninth on that day. Liam McDonald ends up 10th. I mean, I was just, I think that the person you got to talk about this too, um, it was great having Maziotto back, but Blackman dominated the, the race weekend on a side of it. So that's going to give this young man a lot of confidence as they head to Laguna and, and moving forward. Greg, I believe he's only three points out of the championship now. Um, just pulling it up. Uh, yeah, he is three points out. Three points, yeah. Yeah. So he's only three points out, and that's going to give him a huge head of steam. Got a great little program built there uh, with some support from Yamaha itself. Dad is there, obviously on the wrenches as usual. Yeah. But um, I thought Pretty it was great it. for Jackson, and 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 you know you're looking at it right now, all of our championships um, are are close, all of them. Gagne right now, unfortunately, is doing the Cameron, Cameron Bobier disappear act in our Superbike Championship, but all the other ones are pretty close. And Jake Gagne is on his way to a possible, and I hope this doesn't happen for our series, but, you know, on one hand, it'd be cool, but 16 race wins for Bobier last year, and Gagne could do 19? Possibly. Yeah, he's still got to win. He's got to win nine more. I mean, like, listen, I think it's, I agree with you and I like doing the numbers and it was kind of like me talking about Marquez still winning the championship last week. It's still a lot of racing to go and there's still a lot of things that can happen, but it's, but I see what you're going with on this, but there doesn't look like there's anybody that can stop Jake right this second. And I not think at the second, but yeah, if Laguna if, will be interesting because Heron right. loves that place. Loves it. Baz has been there racing. Uh, he told me he raced uh world Superbike. He, there. I thought, oh, I thought okay, he'd race thought both, he's... but it was world Superbike. Okay. Um, and so he loves the place uh and, you know and again, here's the other here's the other thing about laguna they ducati's done enough laps at laguna where they'll have world superbike data that they'll have on tap and available for those guys now it's different tires but they've kind of sorted out some more or less calculations yeah so the fact that he doesn't have to learn the track the fact that they're going to show up probably in the one or tooth uh one or two tooth ballpark in terms of you know gearing settings and electronic settings and stuff like that don't be surprised if you see Baz leading after the first session. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree. And and he'll be doing, it's a track he already knows, so he's not going to have to go out there and do a ton of laps. And I think that you're right, Greg. They're going to be able to show up there with, with a setting. So, yeah, anyways. So what happened overseas? Let's All right, go. so so MotoGP happened, right? And in the MotoGP race, um, we went to Assen, and we thought that it was going to be a Yamaha racetrack. And lo and behold, it turns out that it was a Yamaha racetrack. And Fabio Quartararo wins. For some. For some. <laughs> yes. For some. Fabio Quartararo. Well, they, you know, Yamaha did book. Oh, they, they didn't did. quite bookend. But 
Um, Fabio Carrara wins by 2.7 seconds over Maverick Vinales, his teammate who's departing. And he was, in the video you see, pretty sullen. Although I do have a photo of him smiling on the podium. Juan Mir, which you would have to say the Suzuki is more Yamaha-ish than anything else, ends up third in a stomp. Like he, he had to work his way through the field. I thought Zarco had a great performance. He was our number one Ducati in fourth over Miguel Oliveira, who I thought would do better. Bagnaya in sixth. Mark Marquez in seventh. Uh, then you have Spargaro, Nakagami, Pola Spargaro in 10th. Alex Rins in 11th. Bender, Petrucci, Marquez on down the list. 17th, just out of the points by two, is Garrett Gerloff, who beat Luca Marini. Uh, technically, Garrett Gerloff beat his teammate Valentino Rossi, who ended up crashing out of this one with Likawana Miller on the deck, disappointment, and Martin. So, entertaining race, Jason. I mean, what do you think? You know, boring Quartararo. kind of race. I think there was there was a lot of issue. There was a lot of like intrigue in certain parts of the race, but. I mean, it wasn't like the best MotoGP race we've had all year. No, uh, but I mean, Quart had to work his way through the field. He it did, and that's the difference between him and Vinales, isn't it? Yeah, that's... Quartararo is very, very decisive. And he he's very quick at understanding the strengths of his motorcycles. And if you watch the little thing they posted up now, which is like that, the things you didn't hear kind of thing, you can hear Quartararo talking to his crew saying, I tried him here, I tried him there, and then I realized... I could go up the inside to make the pass for the lead. Yeah, and he did. And and like you say, very defiant, calculated. Vinales takes a little bit longer to get through these guys. I mean, it's just kind of weird seeing a guy stepping away from a ride that was only 2.7 seconds behind the race winner and a lot of season to go. I mean, Vinales could go on a tear. Who knows? Who knows what's going on? I really do believe that it's not just dissatisfaction with Yamaha. I believe somebody's come up to him and – Within the realms of the paddock, Vinales has probably made mention of not being totally happy because I don't see how you drop off a team uh, that you're with, that you're, that you've won with, that you're, you know, you just finished second with, you don't just walk away from that without having some sort of little bit, bit of a backup plan. So he's obviously been offered a boatload of money or some opportunity and decided that's going to be a better way for him to go. Well, plus it wasn't like they were celebrating like they normally do in second place, especially after struggling. Oh you know what yeah. I mean? His team and, and it was just like a fist bump and none of his team were there. You know, his mechanic just kind of gave him a handshake and it was like, okay. You go back to the beginning of that race and you hear him talking about the clutch. Okay. Um, I don't know how much you watched the start of that race. I watched it a few times, but you could tell there's some serious disdain now between him and Quattararo because in the post, in, in the, in Park Fermi there, you could tell like, or Vinales was not stoked at all. And it kind of looked like Quattararo just kind of chopped him or moved over on him. If you look at that race start again, going down to turn one, like he just kind of moved over. And and Vinales even said, and even that little piece that you talked about his dad, I read in there that they had talked about the clutch um, doing something there. But it sure did look like Quattararo jumped over on, you know, to where Vinales would have had to get out of the throttle and lose those three or four spots that really determined the race for him because that meant there was more guys that he had to get by than, than that of Quattararo. So when you look at that race start again, um, you know, I could tell that there's, there's definitely some tension between those two guys. Uh, yeah. So Juan Mir, Juan Mir, I, I saw Miller was talking about, you know, Mir, Mir basically came out and said he did the same thing 
at this race that he had to do at Doha because the Suzuki is so underperforming in certain aspects, especially against that Ducati. I mean, listen, if you're going to have the fastest bike down the straight, you're going to have guys lunging up the inside of you. That's just the bottom line. Like no matter what, if you have a bike that people can't get by, did you watch Bagnaya as he just kept rolling back by those guys on the front? Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, they yeah. dive bomb him and then he, they would just be able to, he would just, he would just roll right back by him. It's incredible how much faster the Ducati is than, than anything else out there. That the problem with that is, is that if you're on that fast of a bike, you're going to get people lunging. If the shoe was on the other foot and Miller was on the Suzuki, he would be doing the lunging. And, and so Mir basically said, I did the same thing. And then Mir tried to do the same thing to Nakagami and to Jack Miller's total credit. He said that normally he would be trail breaking to the apex of that left in this particular instance, he had released the lever that much earlier because he didn't have to get in there as hot. When he did that transition back to the throttle, there was no load on the front. There was no weight on it. And it tucked the front and he fell over. He said it was very, very pedestrian and very like it was his mistake. So Miller, again, scores no points. Um, Zarco, arguably the best Ducati rider this year so far. He hasn't won, but definitely the most consistent. A win will be in the cards, I think, in Austria. And Oliveira continues to impress in fifth, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, and that's... I honestly thought that the KTM would be a little bit better at Assen, but it was really the test to see if they've really made the step that we think they have. And I think that fifth place shows it, even though. Don't you really think, though, that don't you see kind of a trend there with and and I don't it's not as big of a trend, but you got Marquez on the Honda and he's really the only one capable of kind of being there right now. And, you know, by there he's won one race. Uh, and he hasn't really been seen in this race. I think he would have been closer had he not had that accident. Um, and he was very critical of it. We'll talk about that in a second. But Oliveira is kind of like that guy for KTM right now. Uh, Lekawona and Petrucci, even though you got to give Lekawona some credit here. This kid came from Moto2 when the KTM project was brand new. We see him in the gravel every weekend. He's obviously trying very hard. Petrucci is nowhere. Like he is kind of where we thought Petrucci would be this year. He's, he's absolutely nowhere. But the only mainstay each weekend is Oliveira. Bender puts it in there. Bender can't qualify at all. Like, for whatever reason, he can't get comfortable. Bender is a Sunday guy. But Oliveira's there pretty much right now all throughout. Mm-hmm. Right? And that, Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, he's the shining star, really. He's the program standout. I mean, last yeah. year was weird. It was COVID. It was, you know, kind of a unique situation across the board. But this year, we're settling into it. And Oliveira is, uh, he's... He's a lot closer to the front and a lot faster than I gave him credit for even last year after winning what he won two races last year. Right. Correct. And yep. so it was like, well, you know, there was the home race, though it had been, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I just, I just think that he's really, really impressing me and I know he's impressing KTM. So I'm pumped for him, for Oliveira. You know, the fact that he's going to marry or has married or whatever his, his stepsister just makes him even better in my book i just love oh that gosh. story you just went there didn't you that's i cute. had to that's I had great to. bagnaya uh, uh moving <laughs> forward bagnaya wasn't he's kind of like not even really a story this weekend he was there he wasn't kind of ends up six blames himself sorry to the team he ends up just barely holding off mark marquez who mark marquez and alicia spargo were having a little bit of a tussle there i saw alicia put kind of a good little move on Marquez going into the chicane they touched and bumped and all that I'm like well that ain't gonna last Marquez is gonna do something and he did eventually to get back past Marquez this weekend pretty critical I would say when I say critical he did bring up a great point he's like the only 
the only riders having the kind of accidents that you're seeing right now, uh, as far as big high sides go, we're not used to seeing that RBG dub that Mm-mm. Marcus has another really big, big crash high sides. He says the only riders you're seeing that happen to right now are Honda riders, a little bit critical of Honda's um, electronics, it, it would seem. And it really makes it even seem more so now that some of the stuff that, you know, we, when we had him get hurt as bad as he did last year, I know you probably will remember this, but basically Colin Edwards put out a tweet kind of saying that it was something about the bike, you know, something about the bike failed, which I mean, it definitely would look like that to me right now because Marquez keeps on having these high sides. And that was like one that, that the one I watched this one over and over and over again, I don't know if you did, but this is just one that shouldn't happen. I know that part of the track um, that caught him off guard so quick and sent him they were very lucky that he didn't get hurt worse yeah i mean you can fool the computer you know you can fool the computer by not riding into like the tc if you were a little hesitant we've seen that happen or at least that excused away i've talked to stamboli about it richard stamboli and you know probably our most knowledgeable data person in in our paddock um in terms of data to application on the racetrack and it's it's definitely possible but it, it it is a bit of a mystery on, on how many high sides we're seeing and what the heck's going on. Is it really the tires too fast for the computer? Is it sensor failure? Like what the heck is going on? What is going on? Yeah. There's that's... so much money invested in a guy like Mark Marquez. I know that Honda is not happy with it for sure. No. Yeah. Well, you can't have your star keep on getting flung through the air. And we've seen Nakagami have some big ones. Paul's had some big ones. And to their credit, Nakagami and Aspargo only finished a couple seconds behind uh I mean, Mark, Nakagami yeah. only finished a couple seconds behind Marquez. Uh, Aspargo was a little bit further back. I mean, but he's crashing three or four times a weekend right now. They were, they, they were saying, yeah, it's pretty Paul. bad. All right. What about, what about Garrett Gerloff? He finished his 17th. He's 53 seconds behind. He beats Luca Marini, who is one, oh, one minute, six seconds behind. How would you rate uh, Garrett's performance? I mean, he was, I think he had what, one tip over on Friday? Early, um, I think, in that session, too. Really yeah. early? Yeah. So that's a big pool. That's a, that's a, that's a shallow pool to get dropped in the in the. You well, know. it is now. Like if Garrett Gerloff shows up, I think if this is five years ago, even right. Yeah. And you say he finishes seventeenth or whatever. He's only fifty three seconds off the lead. I think it's a good job, but dude, the time it just it seems like Garrett did a solid job. Nothing that's going to get oh, him a ride. No question. Right. Nothing that was like it was definitely wasn't a bad performance. Not by any stretch. It was just solid. You know, and and I didn't know he didn't you know, do anything crazy. He didn't get anybody's way. He didn't do anything to further this reputation that he's starting to reel back in. I thought he just did a solid job. And I think his post-race interview, if you watch it, Jason, just says everything there is to say about Gerloff. I mean, his he's torn between the opportunity that he was given by Petronas Yamaha SRT and the fact that he didn't do as well as he wanted to do. And, he, and I love it when he just, like, he goes back and forth emotionally in a matter of moments. He's just like, you know, it sucks. It sucks that he didn't get the result. He's happy to have the opportunity. He's happy to be on the team. He's happy to do those things. But he's like, it sucks. And the other thing, yeah. when we preview World <clears throat> Superbike, to keep in mind for Garrett Gerloff, who's a front runner in World Superbike, is yeah. he hasn't been to Donington either, dude. So this literally is no. three race weekends in a row where he's going to tracks he's never been never to, seen. And he's going from a World Superbike, his home, to MotoGP, back to World Superbike. And he even mentioned, like, you know, he kind of pointed to his head, like, my brain's going to be fried by the end of that weekend. No. And 
that's kind of the risk that, you know, beyond the physical risk, there's a mental side of it to taking a week off that Top Rack has that now Garrett doesn't have. And I think that Top Rack turning it down and Garrett taking the opportunity is another talking point that we should dive into at some point, whether it's this podcast or another, because MotoGP is off for a month now, dude. So we have plenty this, of stuff we'll, to we'll, talk about. We'll talk about it another time because this one's going long. But I think that yeah. the thing is, is that I think Garrett relishes the opportunity though. So I think that he is loving being on a bike as much as he is. He gave himself a, a bad rating in the sense he's like, I don't think he gave himself a bad rating, but he says, I just don't like finishing where he finished fair play to him. I mean, he's a racer at the end of the day, he finished 53 seconds behind, but man, it's really difficult. There would have been easier tracks for him to go to, I think mm-hmm. to ride that bike than Assen. Assen's pretty, it's pretty narrow. And, um, and it's really extremely fast. And there's so many things for him to get used to. And I'm sure he doesn't want to ruin his season in one race by getting hurt badly on that bike um, and built up all the stuff that he's built up. And you got to think, Greg, this puts him on the, at least he's going to be a talking point when it comes to trying to fill one of those Yamaha seats, especially if Morbidelli doesn't get back right away and he gets another opportunity to maybe to go to Austria or wherever he, he, he might get to go next. So, you know, I just yeah, think. And, and there's the intangible thing Jay, too. It? There's yeah. the intangibles that we don't know, which is how was the communication with the team? How Correct. was his attitude? Like the things that, that these teams are also looking at, you know, like, Correct. is he going Correct. to be a pleasure? And we know Garrett. Yeah, he is. He's you know? awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. He's awesome. Right. Awesome. So you got to say that the team's probably surmised like, you know what? And, and I hate to say this, but this is sometimes the way they look at it oh, for an American he's a really nice guy. Right. Or for an American fill in the blank. And so, you know, I think, my guess is, I don't know, I didn't talk to anybody from the team or whatever, but my guess is that he probably did a great job all the way around inside yeah. the pit box. You know? Yeah, and everybody knows how hard it is to, I mean, what it must be to wrap your head around that. Uh, you know, I when I was, I was lucky enough to ride, I was doing World Endurance and World Superbike at the same time, and I had four back-to-back weekends where I traveled all over the world, like Ugh. four straight Sundays. And, you know, my, my weeks, I started at Brunel, world superbike then i went to uh japan for the eight hour then i came back to brands hatch for world superbike and then i went from there to germany for eight hours of ostersleben but the bikes were all production-based bikes so it wasn't that difficult for me i was going from a honda to a yamaha tires um, so what tires are we going from to i was going from pirelli's to dunlops but i never let that stuff get in my dome i think okay they they were tires but but it's just the travel and that kind of thing and and um but i used to always just sit there and Think about how lucky I was to be able to do all that. I mean, like looking back, I, I have yeah, to and Garrett definitely this. conveyed all that stuff. All right, let's move the Moto Two because Ra- yeah, Ralph yeah, Fernandez. Ralph Fernandez actually made a mistake early on in the race, had to come back, march his way through the field. He did it methodically. Great win for the rookie Remy Gardner, his teammate and championship points leader in second. Augusto Fernandez in third. Good to see him back on the podium. It had been a year and a half. Sam Lowe's was in the mix the entire time, only finished six tenths of a second behind his teammate in fourth. Betzeki Iogora, my boy, finishing sixth, had a good couple passes early on in the race. Navarro, Vierge, Schroeder, Vietti, Chantra, your top 12. Joe Roberts crashed out early in this one. He was going to have to serve a double long lap penalty, I believe. Uh, I, yes. I think a double. Yes. Cameron Bobier, as we found out on social media, ended up getting into some people and was came across the line dead last at one point and worked his way up to 17th. Cameron was happy with it, 16th, sorry, happy with his pace, but obviously finishes one point out, but only 22 seconds behind. There you go, Jason. 
talk us a lot, through a lot of his time a lot a lot of his time is going to be lost in the first five six laps anyways he was dead last going into turn one and can't be back there with these guys it's just too hard to pass them and especially with the bunches of guys that you got to go through i think when you look at it greg raul fernandez did exactly what he needed to do after having um the race he had the last one get you know he fell off at saxon ring um he came back here did a really nice job if you watch this race though again can't say enough about Remy Gardner. He was fourth with basically five, six laps to go. He was off the back of those guys a little bit. Looked like he was getting pulled away from uh, by the top three guys. Augusto Fernandez came through well as well. Him and Raul actually got away. Um, and then from Sam Lowe's and Gardner was behind Lowe's. He gets past Lowe's, starts marching forward, ends up getting past Fernandez, catching the two leaders, getting past Fernandez. But Remy Gardner is just the man right now. That guy's on the podium every weekend. He's doing the things consistently he has to do. He gets it to where he only loses five points here to his teammate, which is not that big a deal. Um, but Zeki is kind of the guy that I'm a little bit shocked at. I thought he'd be up front with these guys a lot more this year. Uh, he's not. He's, he's always kind of finishing in that top five, fourth, fifth, whatever, but he's always back. Your guy, Agura, was great, though, Greg. I mean, he has been another guy that came from Moto3 that I think that this year, he's kind of, he's really impressed me, you know. And he's been, and now I go, has been more consistent this year than he was in Moto3. Yeah, can yeah, I ask you a question? Can I ask you, a, 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 like, point blank on something? Yeah, yeah. Like, does he, Antonio, does he strike, like, this is going to go back again to, do you have to have success in one class to, to, to be successful in another? But does he, Antonio's jump into MotoGP next year? Um, I think. I mean, he, he's had one good race this year, maybe a couple. I just don't think it matters anymore. I just think that there are enough people between what the Italians have done and the Spanish have done in feeder classes. Yeah. There's enough people connected with their feet on the ground in MotoGP to really understand what talent looks like yeah. in the long haul that they understand the level of bike they're on. They understand the level of team they're working with. They understand the mentality that the rider has maybe even the way that they face the races. I think that's why you see a guy like Quadraro because Quadraro was, eh, you know what I mean? He was, eh. yeah, he was very much. Eh, and I just think it depends on the team because if you look at Bastianini and Marini this year, we don't even talk about them. Mm -mm. They were front runners in Moto2. Bastianini won the Moto2 championship last year. We don't even talk about them. We don't even, Marini got beat by Garrett Gerloff this weekend who just comes in and rides that bike for the first time. Never seen it, never done it, never seen the track. Um, and, and, and I mean, I, again, it goes back down also to the categories of teams, the level of the team. I mean, they're all very high level, but, but unless you're on a great team with a good crew with all that stuff, I just think it's, I mean, I just think it's a hard case. And does Antonio's leaving Moto2? Uh, and I don't really feel, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Ralph Fernandez, I think might end up at KTM according to what people are saying, who knows? Uh, so, I mean, what would have prevented a DJ Antonio from maybe getting an opportunity to take a Fernandez spot? Um, and there, there might be some financial backing too, right? There like, could be. Yeah. For it, sure. There's so for many sure. factors and who knows. And, and speaking of guys, riders going to the next class, let's yep. look at Moto3 real quick because let's Dennis Faggio wins over Sergio Garcia, Fernandi, uh, Pedro Acosta ends up finishing fourth in the points, not on the racetrack with Suzuki McPhee Bender relegated from fourth down to seventh because of he, he, he whatever he, well, well, real quickly, before you go further, G-Dub sends me this great video this morning mm -hmm. and he goes, your new favorite. And it's a video of Bender 
And it's and and I didn't really realize what I was watching, GW. I didn't know if it was after, I didn't know if it was during qualifying or during I just because I didn't know. Now, to preface this, I this is my favorite class, right? <laughs> yeah. I, said that many, I, I don't give a shit about it anymore. I don't care. It bores me. Like now I I get tired of the long lap penalties. I get tired of guys coming from pit. Line. I just I'm over it. Like I'm just I, I want to watch it, but it's not any fun to watch because I literally have to watch for 10 minutes after the race now to find out what the results are because I watched Acosta where he finished. <clears throat> I watched Bender where he finished. But Greg sends me this video this morning and it's Bender looking at the TV monitor with his team, obviously after the race, Greg explained that to me. And he's looking at the monitor and they're, they don't really say anything about it. And then they show, they show the actual infraction infraction yeah good thank you of him i mean it doesn't even look like he touches the green it doesn't even look like it and they dock him and bender legitimately looks at the camera and goes f you and i love it i, I that makes me now want to watch it i'm already a bender fan anyways i already told you this year he was my pick to win the championship it hasn't panned out but i love it and i gotta be honest with you greg there's got to be a number of guys when race direction loses the trust of the riders. This is the problem. It's a, when there starts to be tension between race direction and riders, it's the worst thing that could happen. And right now there's got to be a lot of that over there. There, it, there has to be. I, I just don't know how, whoever, who's ever making these penalties. I just don't know how they're going to keep their insane. job next year. It's insane. And I just don't even care anymore. Like I want to no, watch dude, it. So there's 20, there's 27 riders in the field and there were yeah. 10 penalties before we even started the race. There were like, I, whatever, six from pit lane had to ride through. There were a couple double long lap penalties before the race started. Like, you, you know what? This is almost like in a, in a weird way, in a, in a very, you remember when we used to do a rain interrupted race with aggregate time? Yeah. Right. So if you yeah. were leading yeah. the race and you had fun, I mean, and then they would try to put these graphics up and you're looking at first, second, and third, but they're really fifth, ninth, and the guy in third's leading. And you're just like, what in the hell is going on? In a really strange way, it's kind of like that where you're like, okay, great. So this guy, and how about if you're you're Fanati? You do two long lap penalties and you still finish third and you're two tenths off the win. Yeah, but we've seen that before. McPhee's had I, that. I know. So my it's, question it's, becomes, how is it changing any rider's behavior? You think Fanati's going to go whatever he did? I don't even know. I don't right? even like know what he did either because you can't keep up with it all. Can't keep up with it all. And I don't even, oops, <clears> I don't <throat> even have like, I'm not even getting the stuff from, from Dorna anymore or from the FIM in terms of like what the, what the penalties are it's an absolute disaster dude at this point point. and, I, and i've just i've had so many people come up to me and go man it's so great you guys talk about moto three and it's not, and and it's like one of my favorite classes but legitimately you said it best when i tuned in and i started to watch the beginning of this race and they're starting to talk about oh there's six riders that got to go through here there's two guys with long lap two double long lap penalty this is before the lights go out and i'm like and i'm sure that i'm sure they find him or did something to him for expressing his dis disinterest in race direction, you know, live in front of a TV. But he's hundred percent right. And I'm surprised they don't get more of that. I'm surprised that they legitimately don't get more of that. Can you imagine some of the discussions that race directions had to have with teams and riders this year? Mm. I bet there's been some heated arguments, but it has to be. Yeah. It's just, it just sucks. And so anyway, that's MotoGP and we're off a month. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get out of it. We're on to World Superbike this weekend at Donington Park. And another shit show of COVID BS. I know you don't like me talking about that, but it is. They've had 
they've had 60,000, 40,000 people for UEFA cup or world cup at Wembley this, this year, uh, this week, next couple of weeks, they've, they filled Donington with a concert of 10 or 20,000 people. And now they're allowing 4,000 fans at the Donington world Superbike race. I feel bad, honestly feel bad for, for world Superbike. I feel bad for BSB BSB race this weekend at Alton park and was limited to a certain amount of fans when there's other events happening within the country that are just, are just filled to maximum capacity. Like, I don't know what's going on. The world has lost its mind, but regardless of that Donington park this weekend, world Superbike. um, you look at Honda, they've got no data from this race because we didn't go there last year. You look at Kawasaki who's made some improvements. I think that this is going to be the weekend again. I think Yamaha has gone very well there over the years with Vandermark winning there, doing the double there. I think it was a couple of years ago. You've raced at Donington, yes? I have not raced there. I've been there twice, not raced there. Have you ridden around the track? Have not. How but all right, so knowing looking at the track, yeah. it looks difficult to learn. Meaning I, is it can't you do you think that Garrett Gerloff, for instance, can do it in one session or is yeah, it going to take no, a day? None of that's gonna matter. He's gonna be fine. He's you gonna learn it, okay. that place. Yeah. Right. There's just too much stuff that these guys can look at and go past and understand. And you know, again, you play know, video I've games. Never, you know, I've never been there. I've never been there, but you gotta think that you, you go back to second for turn one, you short shift to third going down the hill, maybe even fourth. I'm not sure, but the, he's already gonna have an idea just based off of watching. They got data. They got data. Yeah. He's going to be fine. So, but I think that it's going to be an interesting weekend. We got 20 point gap, I believe, between Top Rack and Johnny Ray. Yamaha has been, you know, the team itself or or World Superbike itself, sorry, not Yamaha, been putting up like, oh, you know, there's, you know, there's somebody coming now after Johnny Ray. I, I, it's a little early for that for me. Um, I think that, I think that, uh, that Ray is still the guy he's coming to his home race. Alex Lowe's is a little bit beat up. I actually texted with him this morning. He had a pretty big crash. I think everybody saw that on social media at the last test at Navarra. And, you know, when he hit the deck, he was going 138, 140 mile an hour. And he just twisted his ankles up a little bit. And so he's dealing with a couple little issues there with his feet, but it sounds like he's going to be okay. I think overall, Greg, I'm super pumped to watch Donington Park this week. I'm happy that I'm going to be home for it um lucky and and you never know weather could play and uh i haven't looked but weather could play a factor there as well so looking forward to that i'll be able to watch saturday and then sunday 7 30 in the morning i'm on an airplane so maybe i'll catch some at the airport heading back to seattle to pick up my bike and start my ride i was just gonna go where are you going but that's right you're going back (laughs) yeah i'm going going to work uh this shouldn't have been called greg's ride of the races it should be called greg's dumb rides to work that's what oh it should have been gosh. called. Long, long, long rides, rides to, work. to work. They're not dumb. Yeah. They're actually a lot of fun. I'm definitely yeah. not complaining about it. Um, all right, Jay. So World Superbike should be fun. Uh, if you're interested, worldsbk.com. Pay for it. It's really worth it. All right, Jay. Let's just talk real briefly about American Flat Track in Lima, Ohio. They were there racing the whole program. In the Premier Mission Super Twins presented by SNS class, Briar Bauman wins over Robinson and Vanderkoy. Uh, J.D. Beach finishes 7th, Jared Meese in 8th place, our boy Rispoli in 10th out of 11. That championship looks like Briar Bauman has got a 12-point lead over Brandon Robinson, Jared Meese with 116 points, so he's back there about 23. In the AFT Productions Twins class, it's the part-time racer Johnny Lewis who wins, Jason, on a Royal Enfield 650. Wow. Yep. He wow. did it. 
Yeah, and I love Johnny, but uh, over Ryan Barnes and Corey Texter. So in that one, Texter leads that championship 147 to 108. So Texter right now starting to really check out. And then Henry Wiles in the singles class back in action over Max Whale wins that one with Max Whale now tied with Dallas Daniels. Of course, the former road racer who finished fifth. We kept an eye on him. So they're tied right now. 126 points apiece with Mikey Rush back there with 109 and Wiles with 108. So good to see Wiles back on the on the winning ways. He's last three races for Wiles J win, second win. So he's on the move in the singles class. So wow. that for us, I don't get to see it because I don't have the subscription to whatever that thing was. And they usually don't post their videos until like a week after the fact. I yep. think till it I think they can't post videos on YouTube until it airs on NBC SN. Yep. Um, which you can catch those races. So that's American Flat Track. We like to keep our toes in it. Hopefully we'll have some people on over the course of the year. Looking ahead to our race calendar and what we're going to be talking about. Of course, we're going to be talking about World Superbike as the heads Donington, uh, what happens over the weekend, and Pro Motocross returns to Redbud in Michigan. And then FIM Moto uh, is in Italy. World Trials is in France. AMA Extreme Championship is in Eastern Pennsylvania. And something called the IRC Moto Climb Super Series is in Wahala, North Dakota. That's like a, a hill climb series. Maybe they kind of compete. I know a couple of years ago they had some extreme athletes come out there and do some stuff, but there's a series there. So Perfect. that's pretty much it. Anything else uh, you'd like to talk about before we roll out of this one? It's a long I, one. If, if you're still in no it, idea. thanks, yeah. everybody. Yeah, if you're still in this one, uh, you know, thanks for hanging with us. It's a long one. And uh, next week it's going to be interesting because you're going to be on the road uh let's see so you're flying out sunday so you'll be riding monday tuesday you'll be somewhere wednesday morning we can knock this out yep yeah yep. you'll be somewhere so we'll knock and it i'll out be on wednesday i'll be morning. on your coast as well so we'll you know, normally if i'm in a hotel room which probably i'll be check out times at 11 so we just got to do it in the morning so i can get out of the hotel and get yeah kicked out. no yeah 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 <laughs> we'll get that done and and uh i'm gonna i i've got I, I don't know if i could talk about it just yet but i'm actually going to be riding at button willow on tuesday with some people so i'll let you know how that goes it's kind of a private thing mm. so i'll I'll be able to tell you about that. Um, Same thing with me, actually. I put uh, Dunlop Mission tires on the Ducati and yeah. have been riding those. But something secretive might happen at Laguna. And I'll let you know if I can talk about that after Laguna Greg as well. White coming back to the baggers class on the Ducati. <laughs> yeah. In his in his Alpine Star two-piece zipped ADV. up. ADV. ADV. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You're going to wear your... Wear your with yeah, the vents your, open. So sick. Wear your moto helmet. Okay, so I said at the beginning that we were gonna like talk about Cole, but dude, he's seriously he's on the verge of beating me up. And he could kick your ass. There's no he, question. He doesn't he, look like it. He looks like nah, this some little he's, guy. He's that, really you know, proficient. What do they call it? Thing crab McGrap or yeah, yeah, grapple your hat or grab McGraw or, or yeah, grab, you say grab your hat. Grab your hat. <laughs> what do you call it? No, like because he's like he, he's like worrying me a little bit because he's threatening to quit motorcycling. And if he does that, that's the that's the sign that I need to get out of town because he's coming after me. And I'm not going to say it, but you're a big guy and big guys don't go down harder. He might come after your head, too. That's fine. That's fine. All at least you live along. You live on the East Coast. So the right. So I have him I have a, a buffer. I do have a little bit of a buffer. But the other thing about Cole, too, if you think about it. He's just upset because he hasn't won anything in the last couple months because Chuck Wallace shut down. So all we need to do is just kind of limp him along till Chuck Wallace season starts again and he can win oh, yeah. Formula Formula 80 or whatever, whatever Formula is. 60, however old that class is. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, he's he's getting bitter. 
and Simon's egging it on. So we just gotta be, we just gotta watch our backs a little bit. You gotta, All I, mean, right. I think it's All good right. that we let him, that we let Colby into watching the air conditioning so he doesn't have something to cry about. We, we can start walking around the paddock when he's there back to back and we'll just walk in circles. You know what I mean? We'll just Correct. watch each other. Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause yeah, Colby come at you. I mean, he's got that ninja stuff going on. You, didn't, you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, look, G Dub, yeah. enjoy your time at home. Uh, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to get ready for the USAM. I'm going to try to grind the next five days the best I can on my golf game. And uh, I want to have like a little bit of a little bit of a breakaway from motorcycling stuff. So got a few people I got to call for some schooling, but, but other than that, I'm going to grind pretty hard. So, uh, you enjoy your time at home as well, bud. I will, man. Thanks a lot. I'm going to try to pick up the bow and shoot a little before I leave. So we'll yeah, see. I don't talk about that anymore. So do that. I know. Well, yep. if, if, get on it. if I can bring my, somehow get my bow out to Cali, I'm going to yep. go shoot with Fred Merkel. So there you go. Uh, good. Well, enjoy yourself.